check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today we are going to be breaking down and previewing the NFC South right so we have some real contenders in here we have some rebuilding teams so there's a pretty broad variety of what we're going to talk about okay i've got a bunch of new guests as always and to kick things off per usual we have julius lux to give us our news tidbits how are you doing today julius i'm doing well just you know getting ready to move as you mentioned last episode other than that all as well Yeah, we're going to miss you next episode on Friday. I'm going to have to rope somebody else into doing all the news for me. But uh, drive safe, my friend, for sure. Appreciate it. Okay, today we have a few news uh, tidbits. Some good news, some bad news, some definitely good news for Saints fans. So why don't you lay it on me? What's up first? So to start off in New Orleans, running back Alvin Kamara is expected to be available for the start of the 2022 season, as his possible suspension will most likely be delayed until the 2023 season. This comes after he was involved in a fight in Las Vegas where he faces multiple charges that includes battery the day before the Pro Bowl occurred. Yeah, I had kind of heard that this might be a possibility. You know, they the NFL tends to like the legal process work itself out before they hand down suspension so it's not totally surprising and it's very good news for Saints fans who are riding pretty high off of the news that Michael Thomas has looked pretty good in training camp so far you know so they went from potentially having a rookie be their number one receiver and uh, an older Jarvis Landry be the number two to now getting Michael Thomas back as the number one uh, more than likely and Alvin Kamara back as their their probably number one overall offensive weapon. So they have to be celebrating today. I absolutely agree. This is just joyous news for the New Orleans community. We move on to New York. Zach Wilson underwent successful knee surgery on Wednesday. And with the procedure, the organization will now decide his status moving forward. From what I saw, it's expected about two to four weeks he'll be out, but it is not a 100% decision on his timeline of return. Yeah, so this is the first news uh, segment that we've done since it happened. And, you know, we went we went on a bit of a roller coaster. We went from kind of thinking it might be the season over to uh, uh, hopeful, but waiting to see how the procedure went. Now the procedure is done and the timeline has not changed. So we could be seeing Wilson anytime within the first couple of weeks of the season. So my only thing is work him in easily. You know, don't don't force it. Don't rush it. I would honestly, I would rather lose a game or two and get him back without risking any further, you know, aggravation of the injury than than try and get him back too soon. That's my opinion as a fan. I absolutely agree, especially since there's also reports that they will not pursue on Jimmy Garoppolo. So it looks like they're going to stick with Joe Flacco during Wilson's absence. So as you know, you want to rest your QB one up to be 100% and ready to roll as the season goes on. So we got our third piece of news. The Cleveland Browns center Dawson Deaton suffered a torn ACL in practice, which ends his 2022 season. This occurred right after Nick Harris went down and underwent a season-ending knee surgery. So the Cleveland Browns are a little thin at the center position. Yeah, we mentioned, uh, Kyron mentioned the 
Nick Harris injury that happened in the preseason game, which is pretty unfortunate. And I'm not sure if they were going to be comfortable going into the season with Deaton as their starting center anyway, but this just puts even more pressure on them to bring back a guy like JC Treader or to make a trade for somebody in the NFL. I mean, I think no matter what happens with their quarterback situation, they can't have a gaping hole in the middle of what is otherwise a very good offensive line. I absolutely agree. So they're going to, to me, I think they'll find a way to work out a trade. They did give up a lot of picks, of course, in the Deshaun Watson trade, but I don't think that will matter. It'll probably just be another little late round pick to acquire a center. Moving to the nation's capital, Antonio Gibson apparently is getting reps on third, on second and third team after fumbling in their preseason opener. He was Washington's starter last year. And head coach Ron Rivera said the job for the starting running back is open. Yeah, this is an interesting one for, especially for fantasy players, I think more than anybody else, because he was a running back who cleared a thousand yards last season. And he is a guy who can do some damage catching the ball as well. So if you're in a PPR league, people have had their eye on him for a while. The fact that he is getting reps down in the second, third indicates that it's it's real you know I don't I'm not sure that they would just be doing it as a scare tactic so to speak I think that once you're this far into camp it's more than likely realistic that Brian Robinson is carrying the rock a little bit more than Gibson especially because Robinson has looked really good in camp so far and obviously had a very productive college career at Alabama so this is one of those where you know unless he has a monster showing in preseason week number two you're probably falling down fantasy draft boards pretty rapidly. Yeah, I was about to mention fantasy owners are not going to be happy with that piece of news. And just to add a little something, part of me also thinks, you know, I'm I'm wondering if there's anything kind of, you know, behind the scenes or something in camp of why Gibson was demoted, especially so quickly after week one. I hadn't yeah. heard if he had any lackluster, you know, practices before the opener. But I feel like there was something that, I don't know, may have happened that, you know, he maybe showed up not in shape the way the organization wanted him to, or, you know, there could be off the field, off the field things. I, I'm not sure, but that's just something I had in mind when I did see this piece of news. Yeah, I agree. I and mean, look, it's pure speculation, but it does seem pretty quick to turn around on a guy just because of one fumble in the first preseason game, right? Like, yeah, we don't want to see that, but it's usually not something that that causes a dramatic change in a starter's role, in a previous starter's role. So there's got to be something that has to do with work ethic or, or something, you know, a little bit more than on the surface. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It was just like one game and then boom, like a, de- a immediate demotion. So we're going to move on to the smaller pieces of news, just some quick ones right here to fire at you. Titans linebacker Bud Dupree pleaded guilty to a small assault charge case and will be handed six months worth of probation. Yeah, I'm not sure what that will mean in terms of suspension. It could be a couple of games, but again, that probably, well, if he pleaded guilty, maybe it will happen this season. Yeah, so he might he might have a small suspension to start the year. We'll see. We'll see how quickly they, they turn around on that. Yeah, this all happened today, so I don't expect the league to act up on this right away. They're going to take their time with this one. Steelers wide receiver Anthony Miller is out for the season after injuring his shoulder in training camp right before the preseason opener. After a solid display in the workouts during camp and the chemistry he built with Mitch Trubisky, the team loses another receiver. 
Yeah, that's a shame. Nobody likes to see that, but fortunately they are one of the deepest in the league at the wide receiver position after investing in it over and over and over again. So, you know, it stinks for him and it's not good for the Steelers organization, but if there's somebody who's kind of prepared to handle a loss of depth there a little bit, it would be them. Absolutely. Carolina Panthers named their first-round pick, Ikem Ikuanu, their starting left tackle over Braden Christensen. Now that Ikuanu is left tackle number one, Christensen will have a chance to start at left guard, but he's got some competition, of course. So their first-round pick is now their starting left tackle for the Carolina offense. Yeah, the sixth overall pick is named a starter. Shocker. <laughs> yeah, and especially how he especially how he played at North Carolina State. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he, his size, he's a, he's a monster this kid. Yeah, I liked him a lot for sure. Yeah, and, and and again, like this was an expected pick to in the draft. Just they needed help on the line and they got a specimen. So, congrats to him on winning the job. And then the last piece of news I got for you is Seahawks acquire J.J. Arthega whiteside from the Philadelphia Eagles in exchange for defensive back Ugo Amandi. Yeah, I mean, just a little bit of late offseason roster finagling by the Eagles. They're always making moves like this, creating a, a, you know, a lower depth chart player for another lower depth chart player, you know, or a lower depth chart player for a late round pick. This this is nothing new for the Eagles. So the Seahawks plan to use Ortega Whiteside as a hybrid receiver and tight end. And Amadi was supposed to be cut, but instead of being cut in the preseason, they just used him in the trade to acquire the wide receiver tight end. Yeah, exactly. It's basically like both of them probably would have been released and claimed off waivers, but this just ensures that each team gets the guy that they, they would like to grab. So, I absolutely agree, and that is all the news I have for you today. All right, Julius, thank you very, very much. Let everybody know where they can find you. So you can find me on Twitter, GotJuice44. That's on Twitter, GotJuice44. You can find me on gridironheroics.com. Just look up my name, Julius Lux, on the website. You'll find all my articles there. And on Facebook, you can find me at Julius Lux. Beautiful. We'll see you again next Wednesday. And we are creeping up ever so quickly to the start of the regular season. So can't wait for that. It is exciting, and I'm definitely looking forward to it, and I will see you next time. All right, time to welcome another brand new guest. We've got new guests all over the place today, and for the Carolina Panthers, I'd like to welcome Wyatt Miller. He covers the Carolina Panthers and fantasy for gridironheroics.com. He is currently at Syracuse for journalism with a minor in sports analytics, and he's the copy editor for the sports section of the Daily Orange, which is the Syracuse student paper. So you are all in on sports, man. This is this is you. How are you doing this morning, Wyatt? I'm doing great, Max. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. You know, so we have a fair number of ties to the Syracuse uh, journalism slash sports program over there. We've got quite a few guys on, and I'm just kind of realizing how big that program is in the field so it's pretty cool um we've had so dave he went there he has a master's from syracuse and now we have someone who's actually currently there and we also had nick miriam who i believe just graduated so we've kind of got all three stages now but jumping into the carolina panthers because that is what we're here to talk about panthers are 
they're not really quite in a state of flux anymore. You know, you've had your coach, you've had your GM there long enough that you're kind of expecting this to be the year where uh, they make a real push for the playoffs, but the quarterback position just hasn't gotten truly locked down. You made a trade with the Browns for Baker Mayfield to hopefully solidify that, but it's nothing that you can, you know, stamp on paper. It's more about the potential for him to win the, the starting job and, hopefully run with it from there. So that's kind of the background for the Panthers at this point. But obviously he probably being one of them, but what would you say are the two biggest key offseason additions for the Panthers? Yeah, definitely. We'll start off with Mayfield. I mean, he's just an inherent upgrade over Sam Darnold, I'd say. For nothing else than his leadership quality, even cornerbacks and defenders like Dante Jackson has said, like, you know, his trash talk has really brought out the intensity of the team. And, you know, he also has more winning intensity, more winning experience. And, you know, he's he's led a team to a playoffs. He has leads Darnold in almost every statistical category since they've been drafted. So for me, there's not really a question who should be starting week one. I respect what Matt Rule is doing and, you know, giving Sam Darnold a fair shot and keeping up with the equal reps in preseason and training camp. Because, you know, this this team does have a rapport with Sam Darnold and they know him well and he he knows these receivers. And although he didn't perform nearly as well as fans has hoped last season, you know, after those first four games, people had expectations high and then McCaffrey got hurt and it just completely fell apart. I think his, you know, his rapport with McCaffrey and his ability to win kind of makes it so that he should be in the running for that starting QB job. Mayfield should get that job, but I think Matt, what Matt Rule is doing isn't, you know, it's responsible. It's the right thing to do for the team, and I think people respect him for it. And if we're going on to defense, I think Xavier Woods is an acquisition that people really have, he's flown under the radar a lot. You know, he had a career year with Minnesota last year, over 100 tackles, three picks, two forced fumbles. That's the kind of like aggressive playmaker that Phil Snow, our defensive coordinator, wants to have on our defense. You know, Jeremy Chin, another guy who caused a lot of turnovers. Those kind of guys, you know, we have three corners with sub 4-4 four, four speed. Like, it's going to be an aggressive, young, attacking secondary, and I think Xavier Woods fits the mold of that perfectly. So that's one acquisition that I think has gone really under the radar that's going to help us out a lot on defense. Yeah, you know, I think, so last year, Right around week three, I think it was leading into week four, I did a film breakdown on the Carolina Panthers defense, which was really, really fascinating to look at. And they used so much simulated pressure. The different blitz packages that they were using was was really fun to break down. And they did such a nice job playing complimentary football with that defense until you lost JC Jackson and Christian McCaffrey went down because then the offense wasn't sustaining drives well enough because he was really the biggest part of the offense last year. And they didn't have that lockdown coverage from one side. You know, they made a trade for CJ Henderson. I think right before that they acquired Stefan Gilmore, but they were never really able to recreate that effectiveness of that defense once those those guys went down. So Xavier Woods coming in to fill that final spot with everybody coming back healthy, I think really is a nice addition that hopefully will bring them back to to one of the better defenses in the NFL because they were just so fun to watch under Phil Snow. And I think that he's probably going to be able to get back to the creative packages that he that he was running last year. Absolutely. If you want to hone in on the offense, right, 
Baker Mayfield is the biggest storyline for sure. But if you were to point to something that would be the strength of the offense, if they are to be one of the better units in the NFL, like if we're looking at a top 15 offense from the Carolina Panthers, what do you think is the key in getting there? Right. Absolutely. And I think it's not out of the question that we could be a top 15 offense. I think it really, the offense just needs to throw flow through Christian McCaffrey while not overusing him. You know, like he should always be the main threat. He should always be the person that is either the highlight of the play or the main decoy. You know, like we should live on play action. We should live on screens. We should be getting him the ball in space. And that will in turn create space for Baker Mayfield to, you know, have open throws and, you know, not just chuck the ball downfield like he was in Cleveland for so long, like really just scheme guys open in a way that, will make him more comfortable and will make him, you know, have one of his better career years. I think the strength of our offense will always be Christian McCaffrey as long as he's on the field. And, you know, a lot of his injuries and the, like, you know, failures with timing and all that has to do with the offensive line. But, you know, hopefully we've upgraded there a lot. And, you know, I think the biggest strength of our offense will always be McCaffrey and then the rest will come. You know, I mean, if he stays healthy, he can be the reason you have the top offense. I mean, oh, absolutely. I remember last year also when the narrative around Darnold going to the Panthers was, look, all he has to do is is get away from the Jets and he's actually <laughs> good. I mean, when I was doing the breakdown for the Panthers in those first uh, few weeks for the defense, it was also very apparent that <laughs> it's easy to be a very good quarterback when all you do is hand off or dump off the ball to Christian McCaffrey because he just does all yeah. the work for you. So Yeah, when the uh, when the average throw is behind the line of scrimmage, that makes your job a lot easier, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's an incredible player. There's no doubt about it. Now, if you're going to flip over to the defensive side of the ball, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the blitz packages. We talked a little bit about J.C. Horn. But if you were to point to one thing that is the true strength of the defense, if you were to point to one thing that might even be the strength of the team, what would you say that is? Yeah, right now, I got to say it's the secondary. Like, we just have such a young, athletic group. Like, the talent that's in that unit, when you think about it, like, Dante Jackson is someone who, you know, has been in the league a while now. He's got elite speed, 4-3 type of guy. And then you got C.J. Henderson, who was a top 10 pick, and J.C. Horn, who was a top 10 pick. You know, J.C. Horn had one of the top PFF passer grade ratings during, you know, his however many games stretch, like one or two game stretch that he was playing last season. He was, you know, he's an aggressive corner with ideal build. And, you know, he's just, he's very, very aggressive. He really just fits the mold of that defense. So I think that all those guys complement each other very well. I think that Phil Snow is a really good defensive mind. He brings a lot of packages. He confuses offenses. So I think the defense will definitely benefit from that. And the secondary, I think they're going to be up there in the top of the league with with respect to turnovers. I think that all these guys are ball hawks, especially J.C. Horn. And, you know, Xavier Woods showed that last year too. He has that ability. And Jeremy Chin, obviously with the fumbles, he took those two back-to-back touchdowns last season. Everyone remembers that. But, yeah, so I really think the strength of this defense is in in the passing game and just, you know, being aggressive and breaking up passes and just being dogs. Like, I really think that's what our defense has, and I think that's what we'll show this year if Phil Snow can just, you know, put everything together. Yeah, so many versatile pieces. 
in the secondary and on the defensive line. They lost a couple of the defensive linemen. They let them go in free agency, you know, just as happens when you have a lot of good players, eventually they move on. Uh, But if you were to point to something that could be the potential weakness of the defense, what do you think that would be? Because, you know, it's, it's, it's all roses. It looks like early, but we know that the NFL doesn't always go exactly how we expect. So if there was something to look out for, what do you think it is? Yeah, I definitely think it's it's the front seven. And, you know, the pass rush obviously has burns. So I think that, you know, he'll obviously always be in the backfield with respect to pass rush. But I think our run stuffing is something that we're definitely going to have to, you know, be really good about. I think Phil Snow is going to have to bring some pressure up front. Like, I like the Damian Wilson signing in the middle. But, you know, Matt Ioannidis is coming from Washington. He hasn't played really at a high level in a few years. He hasn't really started in a few years. So I'll be interested to see what he can bring. And then Gross Matos and Marquise Haynes on the other side. You know, we just got some young or, you know, kind of out of play guys that, you know, we just really need to step up and show that they can start and get consistent pressure on the quarterback and, you know, just block up those little blocking lanes in between get those running backs down in the line of scrimmage, at least, you know, buffer them a little bit because big plays were a big problem for us last year. And if we get a running back going into the head of steam, you know, Xavier Woods is definitely a big upgrade for tackling safety. Like that's something that will definitely help that, but we don't want them to get to that point is the point. We want them to be stopped or halted in the backfield. So those are some, some guys that I'm looking for to step up. Yeah. I also think Hassan Reddick was a big loss as well because he played such a a key part in the versatility of Phil Snow's defense, you know, whether it was in some coverage snaps, you know, as kind of a, a, I mean, he's an outside linebacker, but he also, he's a pass rusher really with an ability to do a bunch of other things as well. And I think the Eagles did a nice job scooping him up and you can only retain so many guys for the Panthers. So it's not, not a knock on them or anything. Absolutely. But his, his loss is something that will have to be replaced in some way, shape, or form. Um, so, you know, good players, but... Yeah, for sure. I think we actually have two guys who are planning to fill that role. So, like, Frankie Louvu is kind of going to be the edge rusher slash coverage linebacker, and Gross Matos is obviously going to be kind of like that full-time defensive end role. So, like, I agree it was a huge loss, but... I knew it was kind of unrealistic we would re-sign him because we just didn't have the cap space at the time. But, you know, I'm really happy he got that back from the Eagles, honestly. He's a great player. Wish him all the best. But, yeah, hopefully those two guys can kind of fill in his role. Yeah, it's one of the downsides of when you grab a player who was maybe underutilized in his previous stop or incorrectly utilized and you get him relatively cheap on a one-year deal, it's always nice, but then it's tough to watch them, you know, go – elsewhere for a bigger contract but it happens it just it, it does so if you had to take everything that we've talked about the the flux at quarterback um the new investments at the offensive line that we haven't seen altogether yet the good skill players who you just need to stay healthy the defense that is so versatile but has undergone some change as well when you put that all together what projection can you make for the panthers this season Right. So as a Panthers fan and, you know, obviously beat writer, I think we should, I expect us to make a playoff push at least in the first half of the season, make, you know, be competitive in the wild card race. I think that with an upgraded QB, one with serious winning experience, you know, if he can stay healthy and McCaffrey can stay healthy and the defense can, you know, finally put it together with that young core, 
I think we have a real shot to be a decent team. I think, you know, and not eight to a eight to 10 win team is not completely out of the picture. I think a lot of things have to go right for that to happen, but you know, my, uh, my optimistic expectation is that the, uh, the Panthers make a wild card push this season. And if, if they do make a push for that, how competitive do you think they could be in the playoffs? Honestly, not very competitive. We, we don't have very many people with playoff experience. <laughs> I think we could win one game, but you know, I, I wouldn't expect more than that. And honestly, if we do make the playoffs, that's a win in my book for this season. We got a lot of young players and, you know, we, the quarterback position, this is definitely an upgrade and we'll see how Baker does this season, but we also got Corral waiting in the wings and he's impressed a lot of people this training camp. Didn't do great in his first preseason game, but you know, he's showed a lot of promise and a lot of talent, just, just pure athletic prowess, you know? So yeah, I think we have a lot of good prospects going forward and this season is really just motivation for us to get experience in those types of situations that will help us win in the future. Yeah, when you're looking at it from a front office and coaching perspective, uh, coaching in particular, I think I think the biggest thing you need out of this year is to have a clear direction moving forward, right? Like I I don't think it's if it's one of those seasons where you have to go back to the drawing board whether it's with your offensive coordinator or your quarterback, if that is that if that's the takeaway it probably will be Matt Rule's last year. But if you go through and you have a clear direction and you have a couple of things you need to improve on, but you you have a plan for how to do that, then Matt Rule maybe gets another year with whichever quarterback it is, whether it's Corral or Mayfield or, I mean, I don't think we can realistically say Donald at this point. But yeah, it's an interesting year. It's a lot on the line for for this group of guys, so... Wyatt, thank you so much for joining me to talk about the Panthers today. I really, truly do appreciate it. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you, whether it be social media or your written work? Yeah, for sure. I post most of my content on Twitter. Uh, so if you want to follow me, it's YMill07. That's W-Y-M-I-L-L-0-7. Uh, you know, I post a lot of team links there, post a lot of Panthers content, you know, some fantasy football stuff. So definitely check it out if you're looking for some advice or some uh, some information on any of those teams. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll have Wyatt back on right before the season starts to talk about some fantasy as well. Thanks again, Wyatt, and we will see you very soon. Yep, thanks for having me, Max. Okay, everybody, we have a brand new guest, another new one for this NFC South edition. He covers the Falcons for gridironheroics.com. I'd like to welcome Shahir Khan. How are you doing this morning, Shahir? I'm pretty good, Max. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm doing well. So the Falcons are an interesting team. They kind of got themselves into a little bit of a, a, of a salary cap situation in the final years of Thomas Dimitrov, right? They had to kind of work themselves out of it. This is sort of the last year where they were a little bit stuck in the quagmire. And it looks like, although they've added a few pieces, next year is really the season where they'll be able to dive headfirst into assembling the new roster under the new regime, the new coaching staff. So they haven't been able to add a ton of guys in free agency, especially not a ton of big guys, but they've had some draft picks and whatnot. I want you to lay on me who you think are the biggest additions for the team this year. 
So I'll start on the offensive side of the ball. And like you said, the cap situation, Thomas Dmitrov really messed up contracts and stuff. We paid a ton to offensive line people that never panned out. So the Falcons primarily built through the draft. And offensively, a guy that I have on my radar that not many other people are seeing is running back Tyler Algier, BYU, fifth-round draft pick, one of the best running backs in college last season, lasted until the fifth round. And what's really great about him is that how he fits into the Falcons' scheme. About 70% of his rushing yards came after contact, so he's just a big, explosive power guy. And for the longest time, the Falcons have never had that. We tried last season with Mike Davis, and he was a complete just it, – it didn't pan out. He's on, he's on a different team now. So it was really just Cordell Patterson running the show from the backfield. And what we saw was at the end of the season, Patterson had fatigue. He would rest out for some time. So there was never any other running back to take that load. Now with Tyler Algier, who's a power running back who also has that explosiveness, he can be a guy that can come in. And he's already shown flashes. They've said he's been really, really good during training camp and all that. Um, Probably the Falcons running back two as a fifth-round draft pick in his first season. So he'll come in. He can take a majority of the snaps. And with the Falcons, what's really interesting is a completely depleted wide receiver core you can line Cordell Patterson up in the slot wide receiver and wide receiver three. And that just adds so many different layers to the Falcons offense now, especially with a mobile quarterback, which we haven't seen since the Michael Vick days. It's a team now that the Falcons offense on paper, not as talented, but overall it's a team that has a lot of different levels and they could surprise some people with the running game. Um, and a little bit of that wide receiver core with the new quarterback and the new regime, it'll be a very interesting offense to watch for Atlanta. And defensively, this is where they kind of made some moves in free agency. They didn't have too much money to spend, but they restructured some contracts and they brought in once all pro Casey Hayward from the Raiders through free agency. This is something that I'm watching really heavily because this could be an incredible signing if he's even 60% of that all-pro that we saw five, six years ago. What's going to be great is that he is going to be our cornerback, too, with uh, A.J. Terrell, who had a fantastic season last year. So what you're going to see now is him mentoring A.J., um, seeing if he can build up to the all-pro level that he once was, even though last season he pretty much was, but no one really seemed to think that in the NFL world. Um, He was was snubbed off too many lists. Um, But now... Casey Hayward, who didn't have a bad season in Las Vegas last year, he had a few pass deflections, only had one interception, I believe, but he still showed himself to be worth more than what statistics show. Um, So now the Falcons probably have, in my opinion, and this could be biased, but I think it's the best cornerback duo in the NFL right now. Um, And Dean Pease, the defense coordinator for the Falcons, came out a few weeks ago and said he was really tired of the team's low statistics and defense and everything. Um, and he said he was sick of it and he wanted this season to be a season where the Falcons have a top 10 defense. I don't know how likely that is, but with two incredible cornerbacks running the show and a revamped defense line for the draft, this Falcons team from offense to defense is a team that could surprise some people. And they're not going to be as bad as some predictions are showing them out to be. Jumping back to your first guy, Tyler Algier, that's a really interesting one because Rookie running backs often contribute a lot more than other positions. So to get a guy in the later rounds who could come in and be a key contributor for your offense is a really big deal. Cordero Patterson had a really nice year last year. I remember it was, I want to say maybe week one 
of the 2021 season. And I just looked at him in that offense and I thought to myself, I think I even tweeted about it. This guy, like he, he's not Derrick Henry, but the way that he looks in that offense is very similar. It struck me almost immediately. Big guy, upright running style, like long strider with a lot of power and speed. Like he, when he gets the speed running, uh, accumulates the speed running to the outside, and then he's able to cut upfield. He he really reminded me of him. And it turned out that he, you know, he's not Derrick Henry, but he had a good season, really good season. Right. So he is your number one running back. But we know in the NFL, attrition for running backs is very real. So if there is any stretch of time that he has to miss throughout the regular season, Tyler Algier coming in and being another big physical running back for you guys is is definitely a, a big-time addition. And we've seen the Falcons under Arthur Smith go all in on size, right. bigger, stronger. Like That, that oh, is yeah. their MO for sure. So big power back like Algier, uh, who ran a similar system at BYU, it's a nice pickup. I'm going to pump the brakes on you a little bit for, for the <laughs> cornerbacks. Look, first of all, don't get me wrong. I love Casey Hayward. He's a really good player. The issue is just that as corners age, the athleticism drops off. And while I do think he's a great addition because you have your number one corner in A.J. Terrell who can lock down on one side, it gives you the other side where you can shade safety help. You know, you can, you can work off that. I, I mean... I wouldn't call them the best cornerback duo in the NFL. Like there's some really good ones out there, but I don't mean that as a, a knock or a slight on Casey Hayward. He's a player who I like a lot. He's very savvy. He's a good vet. And I think bringing him in does elevate the floor significantly of the defensive unit. But I mean, I think there are just too many other good pairings of corners out there for me, to, for me to say that. I mean, you know, just the Ravens, the Dolphins, just as a few, just to throw it out there. So I like I like where your head's at for both of them, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna insert my non-Falcons bias there for a second. Right, so. okay. <laughs> we'll see we'll see at the end of the season, and then and then we'll come back to that. Hey, look, I'm I am 100% open to being proven wrong. Let's so. jump into the offense in particular. There's a lot of turnover here, right? I think you can't go any farther without mentioning the fact that. Matt Ryan is no longer an Atlanta Falcon, right? Long-term franchise quarterback, once MVP, once Super Bowl contender, now with the Indianapolis Colts. Aside from that transition, if if you could point to one primary strength of the offense and then one potential weakness which could hold it back, if you could give me kind of both sides of, of that coin. Right. So the offense is something, honestly, it's going to be a mystery to even me. Um, this is a team, you know, like you said, we lost our franchise quarterback because our owner decided to go after one of the most controversial players in the NFL right now. So we pretty much swung on my swung and swung and missed on pretty much anything to help elevate our quarterback situation. And, you know, I've seen Matt Ryan growing up. He's one of my, he's my favorite end player in NFL history. So first time Falcons offense going to head onto the field without him. So now we have Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter. So a complete little change in the offense. We have two mobile quarterbacks for the first time in a very long time. So the strength of the offense, where does that really come from? Honestly, it's probably going to be, like you mentioned before, the big players that are uh, Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenet are going after right now. 
the Drake Londons and the Brian Edwards, all those players now. You have mobile quarterbacks who are going to escape out of the pocket because they're going to they're going to they're going to need to because the weakness of the Falcons offense is that offensive line and it's been that for years. That's why that's why Ryan Matt Ryan is in such a better situation now because now he's in Indianapolis with one of the best offensive lines in the league. So this collapsing offensive line for the Falcons. Mariota or Ritter, probably Mariota is going to have to escape the pocket so much more often and just chuck it downfield to Drake London, Brian Edwards, uh, Cordell Patterson. Um, it's a rotating Kyle door Fitz. of receivers. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle Fitz, too. I don't know why I completely forgot Kyle Fitz, but yeah, he'll be a guy to watch. That that just everything, that receiver core is decent, but it's really going to be as good as that offensive line is going to be because we saw in Matt Ryan's, Matt Ryan's waning career with Atlanta, it just it was not working for Matt Ryan, who I think he's faster than most people give him credit for, but he can't escape a blitz with two different safeties coming at him. Right. So the Falcons, offensively, they're going to be a mystery. Um, first game of the season is against the Saints and that defense, so I'm not really sure what to expect. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but it's a rivalry game, so anything can really happen. But I just hope for the best and just hope for a fun offensive year for the Falcons. Yeah, I think the offensive line is tough because it's not that you don't have any talent there. There's a few guys who can play. The issue with the offensive line is always that you're only as good as your worst player, right? right. So when I measure skill groups, star power has a lot more impact to me than star power on the offensive line. I think you really need to make sure that you don't have a total liability there more so than a guy who absolutely dominates. Yeah. I mean, that's great, but you know, you need that, that full five. Exactly. So we'll see how that looks for the Falcons this year. There's, there's some questions there, no doubt, especially at the right tackle, I think. So moving forward to the defense, I'm going to ask you basically the same question, potential strength and potential weakness, right? Look, and bef- just so that it is clear, AJ Terrell is an absolute stud. Right, so I understand the idea behind maybe elevating the, the corner group as a whole just because of how good he is. I'll, I'll give you that. I will give you that. But in general, for the rest of the defense, lay it on me. So really the Falcons defense, you look statistically, they haven't had a top 15 defensive year in terms of yardage since 2016 when they went to the Super Bowl. And all those players they had are pretty much gone now besides Deion Jones, but we don't really know what's going to happen with him probably getting shipped off soon we just don't know when it's going to happen so this falcons defense hasn't really had any strengths in a very long time that's why aj trell was such a great guy to watch come on the radar this year because he gave us something that we didn't really see very often and that was a lockdown corner um so again i i'll say it again casey hayward coming on that you know it may not be in your mind you know top three or whatever (laughs) duo in the league which i'll respect but it's going to be great in terms of pass defense. Uh, and that's something the Falcons need because now they're going to be uh, in a locked NFC uh, conference with so many different quarterbacks. It's going to be really interesting now, especially in the NFC South where there are a lot of wide receiver talent. Michael Thomas is coming back. Um, DJ Moore. Um, and then of course, Julio Jones will be playing against him now. Uh, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, it's a very stacked wide receiver division. So having that pass defense you can rely on is going to be huge. But then to the flip side of that, the weakness has always been the rush defense for Atlanta. And that's just been, it's been horrendous. It's 
a very frustrating thing to watch as you're watching Falcons games. They just cannot stop the run. Even quarterback scrambles, they have an issue stopping that. That defensive line is just not built to stop the run, and it's not built to sack the quarterback. This season, they've added a few different players through the draft. They've um, Arnold Abiketti, I believe that's how you pronounce it, at Penn State, their second-round draft pick, looks really good. But is it going to be enough? I don't think in this first year after that draft is going to be enough, but I think that's going to be something they work on. But for now, that rush defense and getting to the quarterback is something they just really, really struggle with. Yeah, the the pass rush is was one of the major downfalls for Thomas Dimitrov. I mean, his efforts to bring in somebody to effectively get after the quarterback ultimately were one of the big things that that got him, you know, pushed out of town. I mean, Tack McKinley obviously did not work out at all. Vic Beasley was like a very temporary, uh, you know, fix, um, and and then he kind of fell off, and then Dante Fowler's spent money on him that they yeah. really didn't have and probably shouldn't have, you know, I mean, that was definitely a guy where I looked at him and I said, man, that, yeah, that's, man. that's, you know, that's pushing the envelope in a way that I don't think is going to work out. And sure enough. So they do finally get a guy in Ebiketti who, who maybe has a little bit more promise, but again, just like you said, as a rookie, he's probably not going to be a big time impact player, you know, right. probably we'll see flashes, you know, and, the future is kind of what we're going to see from them. So the rush pass rush is probably going to again, be towards the bottom of the rankings for the season. I'm sorry. I get you there. All right. So final prediction for the season. If you had to point to a particular uh, a record that you think that they might come away with, maybe not quite as good of an NFC as AFC, but still competitive. Where do you think they shake out? I think it's really interesting, and I might sound biased again, but I've seen predictions that say <laughs> the Falcons are going to go 2-15 and 15 or 3-14. and 14. I don't see them as the worst team in football. I think there are teams that will, you know, end up being worse than the Falcons. I think the Falcons are have They have a lot of people with chips on their shoulders and things to prove. Um, I could see this team anywhere between 5 and eight wins, that's where I'd put them. Um, eight wins would be great to win one more after your franchise quarterback leaves. But on the more realistic side, five to six wins is probably where I see the Atlanta Falcons team this year. I think that's very reasonable. It's very reasonable. I think, you know, they, they have talent. I think I wouldn't necessarily say they're the worst team in the NFL. But I think one of the things that, that, that you know, you do worry about are injuries to a couple of key guys because that's when right. uh, uh, the season could get, you know, pretty dire that's usually what happens when those teams are at the very bottom of the nfl because there's so much parity in the in the league that there most of the time you can't point to a team and accurately say that's the worst team in the nfl right but it's when you go through the season with a, a team that doesn't have as much talent and then you lose that that's when things start to get kind of ugly so there's definitely a pathway for them to be probably not quite 500 but closer than a lot of people expect and there's probably a pathway where they could be in the market for one of those top one, two, three, four, five picks. So, right. All right, Shahir, I really do appreciate you coming on and talking about the Falcons uh, this morning with me. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you, social media or your writing, anywhere you want to mention? Yeah, so I mean, writing, of course, on Gridiron Heroics. Um, do mostly Falcons writing for now. Um, socials, uh, my Twitter at Shifty Shahir. And then um, my Instagram at Shahir Khan. Um, pretty simple there. 
And yeah, thank you for having me today, Max. Yeah, my pleasure. And if you want to read about how how the Falcons have the best corner duo in the NFL, this is this is the 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 writer to read. All right. That will be my next article. I'm working on that. <laughs> All right. Have a good one and we'll see you again soon. See you, man. Have a great day. Okay, everybody, I am super excited to welcome a brand new guest to the podcast. He is a staff writer for SB Nation. He's also the host of the Canal Street Chronicles, which is the New Orleans Saints podcast for SB Nation. We have Brendan Ertle. Brendan, how are you doing today? Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. All right. So it's a beautiful morning to talk football. All right. We've had some technical difficulties with one of our other guests. So you were extremely kind to hop on last minute and do a recording with me. I just want to let you know how much I appreciate that. First of all, I don't mind talking football anytime. (laughs) Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel the same way, man. Now let's jump right into the New Orleans Saints. Okay. It's an off season with a bit of transition, no doubt about that, but there is still a remarkable amount of holdover, you know, both in terms of key players and staff, even if they're in slightly different roles than they were before. Now, let's talk about some of the offseason acquisitions that did come aboard. Who would you say are the two key or most impactful players or additions that are now part of the Saints? You know, I, I look at the beginning of the offseason and the way this offseason started, it, it wasn't great. I mean, they swung for the fences for Deshaun Watson, uh, held out for a lot of quality free agents to do so. Obviously, they end up you know, not getting them. He goes to the Browns, which, you know, I think Saints fans all around are relieved. They just didn't want to be in that situation. So then we go out, we, we go get Jameis. And, you know, that was a guy last year where he showed promise. There wasn't a lot of pieces around him. He really had, you know, not the best team, not the best receivers. And it was just a bad situation and something that Sean Payton, you know, eventually stepped away from. So you look at that and you, you go, wow, like they lost Sean Payton. They lost Tron Armstead. Uh, they'll be uh, Dennis Allen's going to be a a coach for the first time in a long time, it, the offseason really didn't start out well. And then obviously on day one of free agency, or day two, I think, uh, they lose Marcus Williams, who has been a key piece of this defense and I think a really underrated player of these past few years. And, I mean, I don't think there's a safety like him right now out, out, outside of him that has the range that he does. So I th- I think the way the offseason started was rough. But they found a way to replace these guys, you know, maybe not as well as they would have been, but... They go out and they get they get Tyron Matthew later in the process. They go get, you know, Chris Olave and Jarvis Landry uh, to help out Jameis because this wide receiver core was just brutal last year. It was just awful. And uh, that was something that all Saints fans and, you know, inside the building too, they, that's something they needed to improve on. And bringing back Jameis was, was one thing. And, you know, we'll see if he can take the next step with this team. But... I think the main thing was building pieces around him and giving him the opportunity to take that next step. Because last year, you know, it felt like he was babied in a lot of ways. Like, don't do this. Don't do this. I don't want you to throw any interceptions. So let's just run the most basic offense you bet you'll ever see. So uh, they go get Chris Olave. Uh, They trade a future first to go get Cherry Payne as well. So just, you know, adding pieces that for players that they've lost. So I think the main two would have to be you know, Chris Olave and Tyron Matthew, because those are two staples on each side of the ball. And I think, you know, we'll see what what this offense becomes, but I, I really like the trio of wide receivers they do have now. Yeah, they 
were a team that had a ton of talent, and they still have quite a bit, but a lot of those key guys that moved on, they were placed. So you kind of look at them as a complete team. The only question is whether some of these guys, if age catches up to them at some point during the season, whether it's due to injury or just maybe a slight decline, and a lot of super young guys who are unproven, right? There's pedigree all over the place. You could look at a guy like Jarvis Landry. You look at a guy like Tyron Matthew. That's a lot of pedigree, NFL pedigree. But as they get a little older, you don't know 100% what you're getting. And then with those young guys, you've got first-round picks that you've invested for the offense. But again, you don't necessarily know how that translates immediately. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to hone in on the offense, again, we talked about some of those younger players and, and important additions. What would you say would guide the team to being one of the better units in the NFL if they can if they can achieve that? You know, it's pretty incredible because during this training camp and this whole process, it's been incredible what we've seen from Michael Thomas. I mean, he has been probably, you know, obviously hasn't really played since you could say two seasons. I mean, he played that one last season with Drew Brees and it was like he was playing on half an ankle and then missed the entire season. So us as Saints fans, us as Saints, you know, analysts, we thought, you know, we can't rely on Michael Thomas being the 2019 Michael Thomas. We can just rely on what we get. So it's like that made sense to go get Jarvis and Chris Lave just to help him out. But since the first day of camp, it's like, was this guy ever even hurt? It's pretty remarkable what he's done and the recovery that he's gone through past uh, his physical the first day, got off pup, and just each and every single day he's taking a step forward. And, you know, he didn't compete in competitive drills for the first, I want to say, five, six practices. And then, you know, practice seven, eight, nine, ten, he's already leading the team in receptions and yards. And so it's just like, can Michael Thomas, you know, be that guy for Jameis Winston? Because, you know, Jameis, we, we've seen it. The deep ball is is there. Uh, that's not, you know, part of the question for him. It's more like the short accuracy and uh, what he can do in the intermediate routes. And, you know, that was what Drew Brees was remarkable at. But, you know, Drew Brees wasn't the best at the deep ball. So it's like it's kind of a shift of focus. Can Jameis, you know, just hone in on let me just screw the play. Let me just find Michael Thomas. And that's kind of the way it's been. So I think this offense will go as far as Michael and Jameis will take him. And we've seen uh, Jameis and Michael complete one pass together in a real game, which is pretty crazy just to see. You know, they've been <laughs> on the same team forever. So it's like it's just weird to see that. So, I mean, I, I would say the most important thing right now is Michael Thomas's health and what he's been able to do so far. Um, but then you have to also look at the running game because last year the running game wasn't the best. It's something they struggled with. Um, traded for Mark Ingram late in the process like last year, but you know he's not going to be the vintage Mark Ingram. He's going up there in age as well. And you know we'll see what happens with Alvin Kamara's suspension. But you know having both those guys in the same room it definitely makes your group better. And I I really think that they they improved. And if they can run the ball well, if the offensive line can stay healthy, that was the thing last year that. You know, the, the the offensive line groups that they start each game were, you know, different every game it felt like. So can they stay healthy? Can they rely on their, you know, their top playmakers, Michael and Alvin? And I think, you know, if they can, they can be one of the top 15 offenses. And that's saying a lot from going from last year, for sure. Yeah, you know, as analysts on the outside, I, I went through the offseason essentially assuming that they would get nothing from Michael Thomas, right? It's not because we forgot about him. It's not because we dismiss him. 
but you really have no choice. Like you couldn't going through this offseason, you could not project anything from him because you just had no idea. So it's almost like whatever they do get from him is om- is like it's like tax free. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. just it's it it's so much better for the offense. So he is a huge part. I don't know if he'll be Michael Thomas from a few years ago, but you don't necessarily need him to. Just the fact that he contributes is is a really big deal. Mm-hmm. If you were to say something holds back the offense, though, what could you point to that might potentially limit it a little bit? Obviously, that there's there's been a few things, and there's some concern for sure. Uh, I'll I'll go back to the running game. I mean, we haven't actually seen it so far. The entire offensive line has been something to to question. Obviously, it's been a strength for the Saints for for decades, and now you you know after they've lost great guys like Jari Evans and guys like that and Max Unger, it's been kind of a, a challenge to replace them. They have uh, Eric McCoy, who was at center. He's been solid. Nothing, you know, all pro level, but always solid. Andrews Pete next to him on the left. And, you know, mixed reviews for Saints fans. He's a great, great run blocker, great in the screen game. In the pass game, he's just inconsistent. But I, I think having him on the field, we didn't have him on the field most of the year last year. And we felt it for sure. And having Cesar Ruiz hopefully take another step forward this year would be huge. But I think that's the main concern is that interior offensive line. And, you know, a, a question that Saints fans have had so far in this in this offseason has been, who's going to be running back three? Um, I mean, we've had an open competition. Kamara and Ingram didn't play the last preseason game. And they had about, I want to say, I think four running backs play significant Sam's Dwayne Washington, Divina Zigbo, um, Abram Smith, and another one I'm blanking on right now. But... Uh, they really need to find someone to take that spot and really go with it. Because, you know, Kamara and Ingram, they they aren't going to be healthy each game if they just, you know, like I said, Ingram's getting up there in age. We don't know what's going to happen with Kamara. So they need to find a staple at that running back three position. Obviously, it's not the most important position on the team, having a third running back. But it's something that they've had in the past, and I think it is going to be important, you know, come the stretches of the season where you need a guy to take a carry, um, and you need, you need to rely on him not to put the ball on the ground. So that's something we didn't see last game. We, I mean, I think three or four, I think three of the four put the ball on the ground. So they're just waiting for someone to take that next step. So I think the run game in general just will be a huge part of this offense and how far it can go. Yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, Alvin Kamara is, is Alvin Kamara, right? There's not much you can say about him. But with a number two guy like Ingram, He's a little older. You don't know how his body's going to hold up. The number three running back could be in before you know it, even taking meaningful snaps. You might need him to close out games. So, mm-hmm. you know, not fumbling is a big deal, and anything more you can get out of him is 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 really, really helpful. I do expect it to be a, probably a more pass-heavy team than run-heavy team. But, you know, when you look at that, you also have to wonder how Trevor Penning works as like a, a rookie left tackle. I mean, anytime you put a rookie out there at left tackle, it's it's tempting the football gods a little bit. You know? mm-hmm. Let's look yeah. at the defense. So now, again, tons of tremendous players. You got guys like Demario Davis still around. You got guys like Marshawn Lattimore. You got guys on the defensive line. I mean, how long has uh, uh, Cam Jordan been a staple of the New Orleans Saints. So you got some of that veteran leadership at all three levels. But if you're going to look at one part of the defense that specifically leads the way to another top unit under Allen, what do you think that would be? 
Um, I think for for us, I'd have to say a secondary, and it's been something that has carried them for a while. And this is something I'll always say is if you want to want to if you want to go to the playoffs, you have to be able to dominate your division. And this defense is really built to beat teams like the Bucks. They beat they're able to beat teams like the Panthers because they can cover anyone. I mean, they have the depth to do so. I mean, we go out and see them add, you know, corner after corner. Uh, they had a, a great rookie last year, Paul Sandibo, who took a huge step forward in year one and took the job away from Bradley Roby, which pushed him down the down the depth chart. They go get Alante Taylor out of Tennessee this year. And, you know, they obviously have CJ Garner Johnson and Marshall Lattimore. And it's like whoever the Bucks reel out there, it's like we got a corner for him. We got a corner for him. And they go out and get guys like Tyron Matthew and Marcus May who – you know, are, are versatile guys. I mean, they can play in the box. They can play deep. And that's that helps you a lot, too. I mean, Michael Jenkins was here for a really, really long time. And he's was he was that guy where you could put a man-to-man and press coverage against Gronk and he could hold his own. So I think the main thing is the secondary, uh, just how good they've been against really everyone. And I mean, we've been shocked of their, you know, consistency throughout these past years. And um, obviously it wasn't great in the Sean Payton era and, early in the Drew Brees era as well. So having this defense carry them for the past three to four years, it's it's been on the back of that secondary. And uh, hats off, like you said, to Cam Jordan, that unit. It feels like whoever's been across from Cam Jordan has been, you know, in and out. Davenport's been, been here. He just got part of his pinky cut off. So, I mean, we're waiting for him to be back fully healthy. Um, they drafted Peyton Turner last year. So, I mean, they have rotational guys at the end position too. So, that it feels like they really draft to beat the division first, and it's like okay, we'll worry about everyone else when it comes. But you know, it's it's good to have depth uh, in this league at the secondary position, and it feels like at times we have too much depth, and it was like we're cutting quality guys at the at, at the secondary position. Um, but it's something you got to do, and it's it's a good problem to have. And I really think that you know, with this defense, I mean. Super Bowl defense, but we'll see about everything else. Yeah, you know, I think you you could even point to the coverage as a whole, not even just a secondary, because your your linebackers, mm-hmm. I mean, Demario Davis is is an awesome linebacker. And I mean, let's see if he can continue to fight off Father Time because he's done a really good job of it so far. You know, and even Werner looked pretty good down the stretch last year. So hoping for a little mm-hmm. bit more development from him too. And at that point, you know, starters across the board are, are looking really good. So this is this one I didn't get. I follow the league super closely, but I didn't hear about this Davenport uh, <laughs> Pinky, uh, 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 <laughs> is it was it a mm-hmm. surgery or was it just an injury? It's 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 been something that has been kind of frustrating for a lot of people. He, he's he's a guy, you know, super super talented, but injuries have plagued him, and I think it went all the way back to college where he hurt or broke his pinky or something, and it just didn't heal right, and it got infected, and they had to cut off a good majority of it, and it's been, I mean, you could tell he's been really frustrated about it, and. You know, media's question about he's there's pictures on the internet about it, and he, I don't think he wanted that to be you know public of what it looked like, and um, he obviously to change your stance, kind of it's just it's just different, you know, go go a day without using your pinky, it's just it's just different for him, and it, especially for a DN in general, you got all your fingers in the dirt, so yeah, he, he got part of it chopped yeah, off. Yeah, well, it. it I I had not heard about that, but that it, it goes a long <laughs> way towards balance, right? Like. You wouldn't think about mm-hmm. it, but you know when you're screaming around the corner, and you know you're the the angle that you're taking, you know is w- with your legs at what like a, you know 
ideally as an edge of 45 degree roughly angle and then you got that bend you need that stability so i'm curious to see what that what that's like i that's i had not heard about that i don't normally get mm-hmm. surprised like that but that's interesting um but yeah you know i'm not sure that you could point to too much as as a real weakness for the defense aside from just like any other good unit potential injuries that deplete that top talent so you know if you had to to kind of give a prediction for what this season looks like you know if you were to say this many wins approximately and if they make the playoffs how far do they go what would you say and that's a question that we've been asking all offseason and it's been it's been a, a hard question to answer because you go back to last year it's like look what happened last year they started the most players in NFL history and won nine games. It's like I sat, I, the the only Saints game I was able to go last year was when they had a COVID outbreak and Ian book started and it's probably the worst (laughs) game I'll ever go to. So, I mean, they've started Trevor Simeon on Thanksgiving against the bills got destroyed. They've started Taysom Hill. uh, And then obviously it goes from Winston towards ACL. Um, Taysom couldn't go in at the time because he was, uh, he was nursing an injury, and then they somehow find a way to win nine games. Uh, and if it wasn't for the Rams blowing a late, late lead to the 49ers, I mean, they'd be in the playoffs playing the Rams in week one. Uh, but then you look at that, and Taysom Hill suffered a Liz Frank injury the last game of the season. So we would have had to go back to Trevor Simeon again, or Ian Book. I don't even know at that point. And we would have been playing the Super Bowl champions with Trevor Simeon. So <laughs> it just everything that went wrong last year with nine games, winning nine games, it's like, why can't they win 10-11 with all these good players? But, you know, every year it's it's different and there's different challenges and whatnot. Uh, but I think, I think they'll do pretty well. I think they'll stand pat in their division. I don't think the Falcons or the Panthers are really a threat right now. I think they're solid football teams. Uh, but they still got some work to do, and the Bucks, the Bucks, they'll they'll be a challenge every every week. And you know, first year head coach, so I think it's fair to say, you know, I'll say over ten, so ten around that number. Um, and you know, if if they can beat the Bucks, if they can split with them, if they can sweep them again, I think I think eleven eleven is fair. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. And and I think once you get to the playoffs all bets are kind of off, right? I mean, unless mm-hmm. unless you're a team that's playing in the playoffs with Taylor Heineke or whatever, whatever, you know, <laughs> if, if you make yeah. it to the playoffs and that's your quarterback situation, you can probably say, look, we, we, we made it this far, but that's, that's it. But, you know, if you have anything halfway decent, we've seen guys go all the way, you know? I mean, I don't think there's any reason that, that Jameis couldn't win a Super Bowl if – things shake out right you know we've seen it from Nick Foles we have seen it from Joe Flacco look I mean it's not who I would predict necessarily but I don't think that you can just you know dismiss it entirely that's for sure all right Brendan Mm -hmm. thank you so much for joining me I really truly do appreciate it the Saints are such an interesting team I love talking about their offseason moves too but obviously their whole mentality but we don't have time for that in this particular moment we'll (laughs) revisit that once the season concludes but why don't you let everybody know where they can find you, how they can interact with you? Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm pretty active on Twitter at Brendan Ertle. Simple name. I mean, it's, it, it's spelled how it sounds. Cover the Saints for SB Nation. Uh, write for them. Do podcasts. And, you know, I, I enjoy doing it. And it's it's fun. And, you know, if you're a Saints fan or if you just want to know a little bit about your uh, opponent, I mean, we'll keep, we keep it straight up. We keep it real at the pod. So uh, check us out if you want. And, yeah, 
thanks thanks for having me on my pleasure and again i like to try and get everybody back on in the regular season as as you know as it's irrelevant so i have no doubt there will be some saint storylines coming up brendan thanks again and we'll see you very soon thank you so much Okay, now to preview the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I have another brand new guest, writes for gridironheroics.com covering the Buccaneers, as well as University of Georgia, and he is part of our special FCS coverage doing ASUN and WAC conferences, and he has his own YouTube channel called All Talk Sports, where he hits all sports, Jeff Scoggins. How are you doing this morning, Jeff? I'm doing good. Doing real good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. All right, we had a little bit of technical difficulty for one of the other segments, but this one looks like it's running smoothly. So I, I'm a happy guy. <laughs> I'm getting complaint. <laughs> that always works. Yeah, man. All right. So let's jump right into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? They came off a Super Bowl championship two seasons ago, uh, another playoff push that didn't quite make it all the way last year. And they are yeah. commonly referred to as one of the most talent laden teams in the professional ranks. So, because so much talent was already there, they didn't add a ton of new guys. But if you had to pick out two guys who you would say were the biggest offseason additions for the team this year, who would you point to? I would say uh, Russell Gage. Um, he, he's a he's a star in the making. Um, he's a he, he's got a bright future ahead of him. I really like like the way way he plays. Um, the other one. Yeah, I would have to say Julio, Julio Jones, probably because uh, yeah, that that wide receiver group right now is just nasty. I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen a wide receiver group as good as the one that Tampa has right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Russell Gage is a is a, a big addition because you have uh, Mike Evans, who's a mainstay. He misses time here and there. He's usually on the field, but then you got Chris Godwin, who we don't really know exactly when to expect him back. You know, there's projected timelines, but you never really know what these injuries are going to look like. And then as far as Julio Jones goes, again, he he was not really what the Titans had hoped for when they traded for him last year. And he's it's nice to have, but I'm not sure you can really uh, count on him as a, as a key piece of the offense. You know, I, I don't think you can expect him to be the Julio of old, even though people do like to kind of present him that way. Yeah, no, nah, he's, he's definitely a, a third or fourth at best, um, you know, with injuries and, and he slowed down a little. Um, he's still, he's still dangerous. You know, they still need to keep a, they, they still need the game plan for him, but, but he's not, he's not Julio like he used to be. No. Yeah. I think he could take advantage of certain, corners in certain situations might be a bit of a mismatch just still based on size but I think yeah it just as a number one guy that's not who he is anymore it's just a little nice extra piece a uh, little cherry on top yeah exactly and Keanu Neal Keanu Neal safety um, bringing him in was big you know uh, safety was probably the weakest point of, of our defense so it, it was it was real good to bring in somebody that that could, you know, lock down it, lock down our our, deep, our secondary. Yeah, you know, you you have a good secondary. You had uh, some pretty proven starters with Antoine Winfield Jr. Obviously, and Jordan Whitehead. But Whitehead moves on in free yeah. agency. 
gets a little bit more than than the Bucks were probably interested in paying since they have so many expensive players. They get a guy like Keanu Neal a little cheaper, but also proven. So that just fills that little hole they had there. Absolutely. All right, so let's look at the offense in particular. Okay, again, we've okay. talked about some of the uh, skill players we've talked about in the past, uh, their offensive line. And obviously, I don't think we barely even need to comment on Brady at this point. <laughs> But I just want you to kind of point to what will guide this offensive unit to be one of the best in the league if it does repeat as that, or potentially what might hold it back a little bit if they're not as good as they once were. I say the offensive line. Um, Everything's everything's pointing to the offensive line this year. We have a we have like I said one of the most talented wide receiver groups that that I might have ever seen on the team. Um, of course, you know, Tom Brady's there. We have great, we got Leonard Fournette. Um, you know, uh, we got great tight ends. Um, but our offensive line is, uh, you know, losing, losing Kappa, losing Ali Marpet, and then, uh, you know, Jensen going down, Ryan Jensen. Um, that, that hurt. That's the whole center of our, of our offensive line. So it all comes down to whether the, you know, we we got guys that can step up and protect Brady and, and clear holes. I mean, that's that's going to be the key to whether we were successful or not. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of replaced some of those guards with guys that you hope could do close to as good a job. I mean, it's hard to replace Ali Marpet, one of the best in the league, but he retired. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get in Shaq Mason, who's a, a well-proven guard, and you feel pretty good about that. Then yeah. you lose um, Kappa in free agency. You bring in uh, Gadecki, who, you know, as a rookie, you're hoping does a pretty good job. You've had some good luck with uh, rookie offensive linemen in the recent past. So, you know, that's kind of the spot where you're a little worried about it. But then you lose your all-pro center, Ryan Jensen, to yeah. injury. And, man, that's something I don't know if we can point to strongly enough and say, man, we got to watch out for this because – Brady, you know, at this point, he, I mean, not that he was ever a tremendous, tremendously mobile quarterback, but at this point, it's only less so. And the pressure in his face has historically been what, you know, frustrates him the most. So losing a stalwart like Ryan Jensen could potentially leave some, some serious issues coming down the center of that line. Now, hopefully they're able to do something. I just saw a news, um, just last night or this morning that they signed uh, Carl Nassib. And I thought for yeah. sure that breaking news was going to be that they signed JC Treader like that. When I, when I couldn't see the full tweet, I thought that's for sure what it was going to be. Cause that seems like a, that would have been nice. Yeah. Now they gotta, they gotta outbid the Browns though. Cause now they lost their center too. So they may be wanting him back. Um, so looking at the defense, the defense has been really good under Todd Bowles. They've had a, a really, really good defensive line. They've had really, really good linebacker play. They've had a good secondary. That's probably the place in the past where uh, they had some issues more due to just injury week to week than than really any lack of talent. So if you're looking forward to this season, you know there's been some turnover at various positions. What do you think would be the strength and potential weakness for the defensive unit? I say the the strength would would be our linebackers. Um, we we have we have amazing linebackers. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to pick because I mean, really, our linebackers are strong. Our, our front 
you know, our front guys on the defensive line are strong. Uh, corner, our secondary would still still be unproven at the moment. Um, I mean, we still, like I said, like you said, we had we had some good guys last year, and you know, we had some guys move on. Um, you know, I, I would still just have to say the secondary. I want to see I want to see it on the field, and and you know, make sure that make sure that we're we're stepping up while we need to. Yeah, you know, I I think you really need that pressure to happen the way that it has in the past. Cause I, I just, I do feel like the secondary is the one thing that you could point out a little bit. I mean, Keanu Neal, he's been kind of like a safety slash a linebacker slash safety. And so I'm curious to see what he looks like in a starting role. So you really want that front to be dominant again, to, to kind of protect you from any potential weak spots in coverage there. Um, yeah. You know, you got Vita Vea, who's an absolute monster. You bring in Akeem Hicks, who's, at his peak, he was one of the best interior linemen in the league. You know, he's a little older now, but you can still probably get quite a bit out of him. I think the real question will be, will you get as much pass rush juice from Joe Tryon Shoyenka as you did uh, from Jason Pierre-Paul? Like, he's obviously younger, super athletic, got a lot of upside. But Pierre-Paul came, yeah. in, came through really, really big in a lot of key big-time moments for you guys. So, Oh, yeah. Now, I mean, again, I think with Brady, their expectations are always high. But if you were to look at what the potential record for the season would be, the long-term uh, outlook for the team this year, what projection would you give me? Um, you know, of course, I, I, I believe we're going into the playoffs. Um, I believe, uh, I, I say we might lose. We we might lose two or three through the season, um, you know, probably early, get getting th- everything together maybe, um, but I, I I see us as being a Super Bowl contender this year. I mean, we really we have a good Brady's back. We have a great uh, wide receiving core as long as our offensive line plays good. Um, our defense, you know, we're strong on defense. Um, you know, I mean, I know there's a lot of great teams out there, but I really see us being a Super Bowl contender this year. Yeah, I think it's hard not to point to them when you have a guy like Tom Brady and the skill players and the pass rush and, you know, everything you really yeah. need. You know, it's it's one of those where you don't have to point to things and be like, well, if this works out and if this works out and if this works out, they're good. You know, this is where yeah. this is where you point and say, well, if if this doesn't work out, if this doesn't work out, if this doesn't work out the way we you know, expect it to, then they're probably not um, quite as good as we would have thought. But I think even when you look at all that, you're still expecting a playoff berth at worst. You know, Maybe they won't yeah. be Super Bowl competitive due to injuries or attrition or whatever it might be by the time it rolls around. But it is just hard to see a world where they don't win double-digit games and you know, lead at least maybe not win the division, but I would think that's the most likely outcome. Yeah. All right, Jeff, I really appreciate you joining me for the Buccaneers this morning. Thank you so much. Now, Uh why don't you let everybody know where they can find you, whether it's on social media, you know, let them know about your podcast and YouTube channel again. All right. Yeah, I have a YouTube channel. Um, It's a startup. I had a couple before, but it's uh, all talk sports. Um, But Jeff, I have a, uh, Twitter handle is uh, Jeff Scoggins 12, Jeff Scoggins 12. Um, and that's pretty much it.
Beautiful. All right, Jeff. Well, we'll have you back on soon because I'm sure that the Buccaneers will be making plenty of noise as the season begins. Thanks again. All right. Sounds good. Big thanks to everybody for listening all the way through our NFC South preview episode. Remember, I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And you can find the podcast anywhere podcasts are hosted. If you like, you can leave us a rating and review. It does help quite a bit. And we will be back this Friday with the AFC South preview. We'll see you all very soon.